0: Hello, curiosity seekers and adventurous thinkers. Welcome to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio, the podcast for the relentlessly curious. This season, our host and Applied Curiosity Lab's chief curiosity seeker, Becky Saltzman, will be sharing the studio with ACL's chief experience producer and favorite sister, Jennifer Felberg. The lens is, and always will be, curiosity. Each week, fun and formal conversations center around one delectable curiosity bite, designed to give your brain the time and ideas to think about thinking, to flex your curiosity muscle, and maybe even revolutionize the way you think.
1: In the late 80s, when I was living in Macon, Georgia, I had a boss that was from the area, the small town outside of Macon, Georgia. I think she was from Dalton, Georgia, the carpet capital of the country. Most of the senior execs, my level and higher, mostly higher, were from more cosmopolitan locations. I think all of them were, you know, New York and Atlanta and LA. And we were working in the fashion industry. And this person, my boss, who was a very nice person, had very traditional, very religious, very Southern vibe that I thought was provincial. And she didn't dress like the high fashion buyers that would come from Atlanta. And she didn't talk the talk and walk the walk. So I kind of categorized her as Southern, racist, simple-minded. I thought she was the wrong person, particularly in that role. And it wasn't until much later that I realized that she had the right mind. She had good ideas. They didn't present as cosmopolitan and cool. She wasn't wearing the enviable, fashionable outfits that I desired. But she had the right mind. She was probably and perhaps the wrong person, or at least I perceived her to be. And I think my learning curve on that new post college, post graduate school job was a little steeper than it needed to be because I dismissed her. And there's a lot of that where I think that I look at authority figures or politicians or people, Jeff Bezos or Howard Schultz or people that are in the media, and I say, Are they the wrong person? Do I agree with them? I wonder if I have the right mind to know when the wrong people have the right mind. So I asked you this curiosity bite,
0: Jennifer Schmenzaruskies. <laughs> <laughs> now everybody knows my name.
1: Everyone knows your nickname, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Schmenzarunis, Schmenzeruski's. Do you have the right mind to know when the wrong people have the right
0: mind? So I was at work before I started working with you, and I had a person that I worked with who... Had And I knew this just from hearing and reading some of the old posts on social media that they had the exact opposite ideology.
1: They were just wrong. <laughs> Stop trying to be fancy.
0: I'm trying to be politically correct.
1: Just say that they were wrong. Okay, you saw everyth- what they, everything, everything they stood for, you hated.
0: Everything they stood for, I hated. I just did. And all of this I knew before we even stepped into a conference room. And everything this person said, I just wanted to hate. I wanted to hate it. I wanted to hate it. Punch him in the face. I did. Or somewhere else. Then I started working with you and started traveling and doing some of these great... As chief producer, (laughs) experienced producer. Thank you very much. It was at one of these Applied Curiosity Lab workshops that I was fortunate enough to start observing and being a part of that... I actually learned something and I think it's made a big difference in my life, which is to use or apply some of that curiosity to look beyond just the immediate hatred that I had for this person and maybe see that they had some good points.
1: Mixed in with all the bad points. Yes.
0: I allowed those brain bugs to get in my way and I could not see that one out of 200 points were good.
1: Now, was it better just to kind of categorize them as wrong and just leave it as such? Or were there any ideas that they specifically had that you thought, okay, that's really, really good and you're an idiot for having it. More, but more, still... it, was
0: like, more it was like, damn.
1: I mean, good ideas sometimes don't care who they happen to, right? <laughs> they just happen. I mean, so there is that. On the flip side, do you have the right mind to notice when the right people have the wrong mind? So these are the curiosity bites. Okay. Do you have the right mind to notice when the wrong people have the right mind? And do you have the right mind to notice when the right people have the wrong mind?
0: I do think it's easier with the latter.
1: So you think it's easier to have someone that you agree with that you determine is a good person or a right person and to see when they've done something wrong? Correct. You know why I think? Why do you think?
0: Well, I think we can make justifications for why they're doing the things that they're doing. They're good people, but they have certain justifications for doing just these little bad things here and there.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. And I think it's because we do it ourselves. Most of us don't think we're bad people. We don't think we're the wrong people. We know that we're the right people. And yet... We've seen where we've made some error in our judgment or we've done some things that are the wrong things. And so we're familiar with these justifications. Whereas we don't see ourselves as wrong people doing right things. We see ourselves as right people who mostly do right things and sometimes wrong things. So I think it's easier to see. I never do that.
0: I am only a right person doing <laughs> right things.
1: All the time.
0: All Okay. The time. So the next
1: question is, do you recognize when you as a right person are doing <laughs> wrong things? Are you that incurious with your own behavior. Do you know
0: anyone like that? Like I said again, actually, yes. But like I said again,
1: damn. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. No, really, when you think about the right person thinking that they're always doing the right things, do you really think that they see themselves that way? Do you really think in their heart of hearts?
0: Well, I think because of the justification that they have, which by the way, I'm always looking for the list and I found something and I think this goes right into it. So thank you for that beautiful segue. Mm. I believe that people have different ways of allowing themselves to still believe that they are doing the right thing and that they're good people. And maybe it's a little sneaky, but there's a reason for it.
1: Well, we all need to be the protagonists in the story of our lives. Give the listeners some tips and tricks for when they are doing the wrong thing, how they may be able to justify
0: it to keep themselves as good people. This is a list of some of the psychological forces that allow people, good people, to do bad things. Okay, go. Okay, I like this one. The compensation effect. What's that? It's when you've been doing good deeds all the time and it's like, I've been good all week so I can justify doing something bad. Like, I've been eating salads all week so I can have this big old piece of chocolate cake.
1: Well, it seems to me that a lot of my friends who have gone through a divorce... Either they were cheated on or they did the cheating. I don't know anyone who did not say, I worked so hard, I stayed in the marriage longer than I should have, I suffered, I wasn't happy, I tried to make it work, and finally I just couldn't take it anymore. I bit the bullet. No one ever says I was in a great marriage (laughs) and one day I made a stupid mistake that I have stuck with for the next 10 years. Now, if you had an affair and then you broke up with that person and you're living in the depths of hell, you could say, I did a stupid thing and now I'm seeking redemption. Right. That's different. Right. So I think justification. Justification. And okay. justification is compensation. Is that what it was? What yes. Was it? Okay. Yes. What's the next one? Compensation effect.
0: The next one is giving something. The It's called the power of names. So you're giving something a name to justify the bad behavior. Like... Let's say you take a little money from the petty cash and you call it a fringe benefit or you take the toilet paper, better better yet. You take the toilet paper because you ran out of toilet paper at home. So you take <laughs> the toilet paper out of your office bathroom and you call it a fringe benefit.
1: Fringe benefit is a really good way to justify the little, the or, or, or let's say that you had major plastic surgery and you're embarrassed <laughs> about it. You just call it a little nip and tuck.
0: That is a good example.
1: As a matter of fact, note to self. (laughs) Nip (laughs) and and tuck. I didn't have a facelift. I mean, I did not have a facelift yet. Just just a little nip and tuck. But when
0: I do, or if I do,
1: if I do, it'll be just a little nip and tuck.
0: There is a reason why we're doing just a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Are you
1: saying that we have faces for radio? An
0: oldie but a goodie. Speak for yourself. Yes. Uh, Next one. Cognitive dissonance.
1: So I think that's not a justification. Let me think about this. For example, there are good people and bad people. Right. And there is good behavior and bad behavior. Right. And good people should match good behavior. But when you have that dissonance where you are a good person and you see the behavior is being judged by others as bad, then you're going to justify it to make the behavior match the person. right? But the same is true when there is a bad person and they have done something good or said something good or had a good idea or even exhibited good behavior, I think that we have just as much cognitive dissonance where we want to move that into bad or use all of the other bad behaviors to not see this one behavior is good. The person and how we view them right or wrong, good or bad, should match the totality of how we see them in terms of example how we see their behavior rather bad, good. The question can be, how do you see good behavior or good ideas and live with that cognitive dissonance, which I think is very difficult, it is. But the benefits could be great. And if you take something at work, for example, and one of the things we talk about in our workshops with Applied Curiosity is how can you apply that to seeing good ideas from the wrong people? And it right. doesn't mean that you you can still call them wrong. You can even still dislike them. You can even still try to sabotage their career <laughs> if that's your if that's your jam. <laughs> but what do you miss when you fail? It's kind of like what do you miss? It's almost like not to get too far off the topic, but it's almost like who gains from you giving someone the benefit of the doubt? The benefit is to the one who
0: is doubt, giving, it. giving
1: it. Not yeah. the one who receives it. Right the benefit is to you. If you give someone the benefit of the doubt, the benefit is primarily to you. Agreed. All right. What's the next one?
0: The broken window. So your company is in disarray. Management isn't managing properly. You're seeing a lot of things falling down around you. So you might have to do a couple of sneaky things just for self-preservation, like Stealing a bunch of staplers from the supply room because they're just not good at making sure that you have all the supplies that you need. Or Or you
1: go to the supply room and no one's even there. You wait and wait and wait. And it's like, screw this. I'm going to go get my stapler and I'm going to take some extra reams of paper in case I can't get any next
0: week. And I'm not going to sign out for it. Right. Yeah, I'm just going to take it and hide it under my desk so that I have it. So I
1: think that broken windows, But you think about looters, you know, people Mm -hmm. go in and they loot and they and then all of a sudden there's some valuable thing that's on the sidewalk and you're walking by and you weren't the looter. You didn't break the window, but there's someone, someone obviously dropped something from the shop and you can see where it might go or to whom you might return it to. But you're like, I don't know. No one's here. Mm -hmm. It's broken window. Everyone did it. It's total chaos. I mean, I don't even know if that shop owner is ever going to come back. And so you just take the thing off the sidewalk and take it home.
0: Yeah. Or my neighborhood is destroyed. So I've got to take care of me. So, mm-hmm. you know, I need to get this.
1: Okay, so that's, that's good. Broken window. I like that one.
0: Mm-hmm, me too. The next one is tunnel vision. When I am so determined to achieve my goal, I ignore any bad behavior just to get there.
1: Oh, so that's Machiavellian
0: almost. <laughs> yes.
1: All right, so what's an example?
0: I think sometimes just, I would say that with tunnel vision, when you are wanting to get a promotion, when you are wanting to be recognized in your workplace, you don't care who you hurt.
1: I think this is an interesting one when it comes to diversity too. Yes. I think that when a group of like-minded people are moving forward at a rapid pace and they all seem to be chugging along in, in agreement, it's very difficult to bring in, and I'm not just talking about optical diversity or, gender diversity or sexual preference diversity the kinds of things we normally measure Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the viewpoint diversity that comes with that because you you would hope that it wouldn't just be like-mindedness of a different gender or different color or different race you would hope that it would be different-mindedness but sometimes when you are chugging along and you are in execution mode you're not in innovation mode You're in execution mode. It might be the tunnel vision where you really don't have time to bring the whole team and new people into the process. Frankly, you don't even have time to bring the whole team into the process. You are just
0: driving forward. I can totally see that. Pushing them out of your way to just get it, get her done.
1: Or like take the tunnel vision that the companies have right now. With creating a data strategy okay don't tune out if you're listening and you're thinking data strategy this is boring stick with me here because when companies are creating a data strategy and every one of us needs to be data savvy we're all giving up our data for various things whether it's posting on Facebook or whatever so get over it but Harvard Business Review called data science the sexiest job of the
0: 21st century you've got to be kidding me no Data, (laughs) okay, out of all of the the industries in the world. Of all the sexy jobs. (laughs) Data science is the sexiest. Well. Let's just, okay, I'm done. Go ahead, keep going.
1: You're canceling your subscription to Harvard Business Review (laughs) and I don't blame you. (laughs) But I will say this, the tunnel vision of having and creating a data strategy can prevent companies and prevent us from seeing that we are all part of a data society, the tunnel vision of trying to find out my horcrux on Facebook by giving all sorts of personal information to find out that my horcrux is an antelope, is really tunnel vision. I want, I'm curious about finding out my horcrux. I forget about all of the other things that are happening. Yep. All right, that's. I think tunnel vision is a good one too. Are there any others? I just still can't get over. <laughs>
0: Well, like I'm I mean, thinking about all the industries that you could, could consider sexy. sexy. And nope. <laughs> <laughs> You're wrong. It's data science. I wonder like on People magazine who they're going to have on the cover this year. The sexiest data, data scientist. <laughs> that is <laughs> That is
1: fantastic. I love it. Okay, I'm going to say that the sexiest data scientist is <laughs> I don't want to even say the name, <laughs> but I know who it is <laughs> and I could picture him right now and it is a him.
0: Is he sexy? <laughs> <laughs> mm, no.
1: <laughs> I think he has one of the sexiest pocket protectors in <laughs> the industry. But I also, seriously, we all need to be data scientists. So then that means, or we all need to be part of a data strategy, or we all need to be data savvy. So that so means, means we are all getting sexier. Sexy. Sexy,
0: sexy. nice, <laughs> sexy. All
1: right, what's the next one? Okay,
0: so this might just be the last one that I'll bring up. The Pygmalion effect, which I think is good. When people treat you a certain way, you then begin to act that way. So if you think that I am a loser and that I am, should never get a raise or never get a promotion, then I'm just going to act that way. So
1: Pygmalion is almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. Where I think I'm a good person, or I think I'm a bad person, and I'm just gonna whatever whatever justification that has been given to me by other people. This is more of a, an external than an internal justification. It's actually caused by an external,
0: which so, we should be aware of. Yeah, yeah. So
1: if we, so you're saying. Be careful. I'm I'm a good <laughs> you're saying be very careful the stripper, the stripper that you that you become could be you <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that some of my dear friends have been strippers yeah. although I really don't have any friends that are strippers yeah. now because most of my friends are too somewhat old <laughs> too old and thank God they you know on. they have
0: those stripping strip clubs that's like you know 50 hot strippers and the three ugly ones <laughs>
1: your friends <laughs> that's Mary's club
0: No, friends are the three. I don't want to make this all about strippers. Sorry.
1: Let's. (laughs) There you go again.
0: Great. (laughs) There you go again. See, now the Pygmalion effect is coming right at me. Yeah,
1: it is. And the Pygmalion effect. I like Pygmalion better than self-fulfilling prophecy because I like it sounds fancier. It is. I think that this is, in some ways, what we're seeing in society because when we accuse people, different groups of people. Of behaving a certain way, then they just think, "Screw it! I'm gonna, pr- I'm gonna, I'm gonna behave that way. You are not gonna tell me that the way I behave is wrong. I'm gonna just behave that way and label it right." Right. What is the Pygmalion effect? Where? What's the origin of that word? The
0: Pygmalion effect, or or the Rosenthal effect. Oh, great! Make it Jewish. The <laughs> Rosenthal. <effect. laughs> How do you know that that is? is it's a phenomenon where uh, others expectations of a target person affect the target persons of their performance so it's named after the greek myth of pygmalion which of course then the story of the sculptor who fell in love with a statue he had carved so then they made the wonderful musical my fair lady out of that which
1: I don't even know what you're talking about. The
0: pig, Pygmalion,
1: the story of Pygmalion. I don't know the story of Pygmalion. It was
0: about this sculptor who fell in love with the statue he carved. He carved this statue to be exactly what he wanted and wanted and fell in love with the statue uh, and because it was exactly what he wanted it to be. Okay. Pygmalion then became My Fair Lady. The story of My Fair Lady is Henry Higgins finds this cockney flower girl and he does everything he can to make her into the person he wants her to be and then he falls in love with her
1: oh i basically
0: didn't, i That's, didn't know
1: that yeah what's your favorite song from my fair lady all i want is a room
0: somewhere okay i <laughs> keep going. <laughs> keep going far away from the cold night air. <laughs> all right
1: i do not understand how pig the pygmalion effect is a better description than the self-fulfilling prophecy. I think that's just some psychologist
0: trying to be fancy. I like it better. You do? Mm -hmm.
1: If there's just some random person or group of people, and particularly given the divisiveness in society today, if there's a group of people that we label as wrong, what's the incentive for us to see when that wrong group is of the right mind?
0: I think it's absolutely vital because... Just think it's imperative that we be able to put aside some of our preconceived notions and be able to see that sometimes people that are wrong can be of the right
1: mind. Is that a different process than seeing why they came to the wrong mind? For example, when people talk about ISIS, mm-hmm. they talk about that's certainly people of a wrong mind. But it seems that we do more to find reason or justification for them being of the wrong mind than to actually see when they're of the right mind. And I think that's a different process. I mm. think we spend a lot of time justifying why a white supremacist might be have gone the way they've gone. They were poor. They were uneducated. I think it would be really hard to see when a white supremacist is of the right mind, even if it was a right mind related to something completely different from their role as a white supremacist. I think it's much easier to find justification for bad behavior for other people than it is to find bad people doing the right thing. It's a different process. I think it's harder. And it leads me to one of the most interesting sort of facts that i came up with in which was a study that came out of a very prestigious university in turkey that found that 63% of the people surveyed and this was a survey study had three good ideas in their entire life that's horrible <laughs> <laughs> That was a horrible sort of fact. (laughs) I'm going to start over. I
0: love that your sort of facts are found right off the top of your head.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe it would be a little bit better if I thought about... No, maybe it would be a little bit better if I wasn't just recalling this deep-rooted research and instead looked up things and put it down and didn't just, I'm not, they're just not found off the top of my head. they are recall because this study <laughs> did take place at a very prestigious university in Turkey. And it found, what was the name of that university? Seriously. It was called P U <laughs> prestigious university. <laughs> I will say, I'm just going to say a defensive of sort of facts. These facts that I'm stating, these sort of facts that I'm stating have about as much validity as many, many, many sort of facts that
0: get reported as real facts. As real facts. Mm-hmm. Now,
1: that is not to say that science doesn't matter. It does.
0: Wait. It does. So are you trying to say that the earth is
1: flat? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to vaccinate you. <laughs> I am just going to say. <laughs> I'm just going to vaccinate you right now. But there is enough science. And I want to say, I, I actually want to make a plug because I don't want to come across wrong about this. I think this is really important. These sort of facts don't represent a skepticism about science. I am not, people say, oh, it's politicized and science is just ridiculous. No, science, the scientific method is a method of proving and disproving and constantly poking and prodding at hypotheses and theories. It's kind of like if you're driving a bus and the tire is flat, you don't throw away the bus, you replace the tire. It's kind of like the scientific method. And until there's a better method, which I have yet to find, I am very supportive of the scientific method. This is why these sort of facts represent things outside of the realm of true science. And I'm, I'm glad you're. Yes, I want to clarify. Yeah. So, this study out of PU, prestigious university, <laughs> T, no, it's actually TPU. Wait,
0: what's T? <laughs> the? Turkey. Oh, <laughs> turkey, because it was out of Turkey. Turkey, prestigious university. It
1: found that people who disagreed with other people were able to find things that they agreed with less than 3% of the time. Thanks for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Before you take off, I have a few more things to let you know about. One, you can find show notes for every episode of ACLR and links to all resources mentioned at applycuriositylab.com forward slash blog. It's there that we'll wait to read your answers to each week's curiosity bite. Two, in order to avoid missing curiosity-bitten conversations, Subscribe to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and all the other spots that podcasts hang out and wait to be discovered. Toss up a review, especially if you have nice things to say. Finally, for all things Apply Curiosity, including information on workshops and your free membership to the tribe of the curious, go to applycuriositylab.com. In the meantime, elevate
0: curiosity.